Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, just one, one quick uh, uh, word of uh, clarity there. Uh, we are getting books for Nadine, but she has very particular books that she wants. So what we're doing every Sunday is receiving an offering of money, uh, 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 not just books. Uh, at some point, it may be good to bring books that you have that are in good shape that she, she could use. But right now, there are very specific books that she needs. So, so don't bring books if you can, if you want to participate and help bless that new school she's uh, developing there in Common Collie. Uh, uh, we'll be receiving an offering of, of uh, money uh, every Sunday in October for that project. And uh, you may have already seen it around on Facebook, or you could go directly to Amazon. She's got a site there, and you could order your own books, but it's off the list she wants. So, so, so please don't just bring books in general. Uh, we may do that at some point in the future, but right now her needs are very, very particular as she gets to school moving and going. So praise the Lord. Uh, again, happy birthday to Jessica. Also, today's the 57th wedding anniversary of Charlie and Martha Blanton. So, uh, <clears throat> Congratulations to Charlie. Condolences to Martha. And uh, um, <laughs> that's just, that's a strong woman right there. So what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, as we continue walking over the next several weeks through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, we'll be looking again closely at the very first followers of Jesus. And my great prayer during this time is that the things we see as we look at them will profoundly impact and change us. Jesus came to change everything. His plan was to change the world by changing us, by changing you and changing me. And our job is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and let Him. Now, most of this morning will be in Acts chapter 3, so just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me as you're able? And we're going to read together uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'll read the plain text. If you join me in reading the highlighted portions, that way we'll walk through this passage together. Acts chapter 3, beginning verse 1. This is what the Bible says. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now before I get into that passage of Scripture, where we spend most of our time this morning, I do want to, uh, and by the way, it'll be a message I'm calling today, uh, let's take this outside. Uh, but before I get into that, I do want to back up just a moment to return to something I shared with you last week, just to, to, to take an opportunity to address some confusion that sometimes arises with people uh, when they read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, perhaps not as carefully as they ought. So last week, if you remember, I encourage you to read Acts 2, 42 to 47, over and over again, to meditate on it, to think about it. And I hope you had a chance to do that this week. In fact, just listen to it 
one more time. Speaking of these first followers of Jesus, the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, having touched briefly last week on this particular manifestation of kingdom culture, I want to take just a moment to return to it this morning to clarify what the text is not saying. Specifically, I want to point out to you that this passage promotes Christian community without in any way promoting communalism or communism. So what do I mean by that? Well, regarding the, communa the communality issue, over the years, some Christian movements have sought to apply the concepts of Acts 2, 42-47 by developing what essentially amount to Christian communes. A group of Christians will get together, they'll, they'll get a piece of land or, or, or a big building, then they'll all move in together. And from there, they'll divvy up the chores, they pool all the money, they split all the bills. And I want to be clear, Scripture does not overtly forbid that particular sort of communal expression of, of reality, uh, but that is definitely not what this passage of Scripture is talking about. And it is definitely not the New Testament norm. First of all, there's absolutely no New Testament evidence to suggest that the early Christians lived together in communes. And the passage itself makes it clear that's not what's being talked about in that uh, passage. Since it makes the point, or makes a point to say, they, those early Christians made a point to meet together often in a central location, specifically in the temple courts, and to meet together often to eat in their homes. In other words, they'd gather at the temple and then they gather again from house to house because they still all lived in their individual homes. There's a big difference between mikasa et sukasa in a figurative sense. Hey, if you need anything, let me know. You need sugar, I got sugar. You need a leaf blower, I got a leaf blower. There's a big difference between mikasa et sukasa in a figurative sense and mikasa et sukasa in a literal sense where the sugar and the leaf blower are communal property. Even more importantly, you need to understand that this powerful kingdom sense of community that the first followers of Jesus experienced had nothing at all to do with communism. In the setting of early Christian community, the resources were happily shared voluntarily. In a communist setting, resources are seized by the power and at the whim of the state. Communalism is born of a utopian sort of idealism, and communism is simply a form of stealing through the abusive misappropriation of government power. God is not now and never has been a statist. Christianity has always stood diametrically opposed to abuses of power in any form by any people, including abuses of power by the government. And make no mistake about it, throughout history, Christians have often suffered terribly at the hands of unchecked 
government power. God never intended for you to try to bring his kingdom into this world by the application of governmental force. What God wants for you as his people is a life of love and generosity in authentic, connected Christian community where you love God and love people. God has always, uh, God's plan has always been to change the world by changing people. His plan has never been to change the world by government program and government force. So, having said that, I want to turn our attention back to the very first followers of Jesus, uh, where we find them born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, giving themselves over to prayer, devoting themselves to prayer, often praying in the Holy Spirit, often praying in tongues. We find them boldly declaring and demonstrating the goodness of God in Jesus completely rearranging every aspect of their lives so that everything in their lives is about Jesus and the purposes of Jesus. And when that happens, listen, when that happens, and when you begin to live that way, filled with and led by the Spirit of God, eventually stuff happens. And so returning to the passage we read together just a few minutes ago, the Bible says one day. Say one day. One day. Now, we don't know how much time had passed since the resurrection of Jesus, since the ascension of Jesus, since the coming of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how long they'd been devoting themselves to meeting together and praying together and studying the Word of God together. But the implication of the words one day is that at least some time had passed. They'd had this Holy Spirit encounter. They'd begun to develop this Christian community. They'd been encouraging each other and supporting each other and helping and challenging and pushing each other. And then one day, after days or weeks or months of faithfulness, after days or weeks or months of reaching out to the people around them, sharing their God stories with the people around them, after days or weeks or months of praying and sharing and living out kingdom, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. By the way, I also get the impression that this is pretty much what Peter and John did every day at 3 in the afternoon. In other words, one day, this particular day, was a day like any other day. Peter and John were doing what they tended to do every day. They were being faithful, going about their business, but doing it as the Spirit-filled followers of Jesus. So many Christians, especially young Christians, get these distorted notions of what it means to serve God and what it means to serve the kingdom of God. Too often they idolize vocational Christian ministry and the thought of being in vocational Christian ministry. And often they end up wasting huge chunks of their lives, dreaming of ministries they don't have. Many of them end up hating their jobs, hating their college coursework, wishing they were in seminary instead of in business school, wishing they worked in a church instead of in a bank or in a barber shop. So every day, 
they miss opportunities to minister to the people right in front of them because they're too busy dreaming about ministering to people they may actually never meet. Some time ago, I was having a conversation with a guy who was, at the time, my new barber. Uh, when I told him I was a pastor, he mentioned that he had at one point thought about being a pastor and actually spent a year in seminary before circumstances required him to uh, stop. And he said he often wondered, should I go back, should I not? And I said to him, dude, do whatever God is telling you to do, but whatever you do, do not underestimate the power of sharing Jesus and the Word of God with the people in your barber chair." Because I cannot begin to imagine how many more people will sit in that barber chair that will, that will never consider sitting through a church service. I mean, think about it. If every business major changed direction and went to seminary instead, who's going to reach all those business people? And if every landscaper changed direction and became a pastor instead, Who's going to reach all those other landscapers? Listen, in God's great kingdom plan, every follower of Jesus, say every follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus gets born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and then goes out in the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference right where they are. As a chemistry major or an engineer or a homemaker or a brick mason. And yes, some people somehow even manage to make a difference as a pastor. But the truth is, listen, the truth is people in vocational ministry, like Pastor Matt and I, aren't here to do the work of the ministry. We're here to encourage and release you to go out and do the work of the ministry. And as you faithfully live like kingdom people, if you will do that, then just like with Peter and John, your one days are going to happen, often when you least expect them. Just this past week, my wife was able to lead a homeschool mom that she works with in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She'd been praying with this woman, ministering to this woman for a period of time. She was going through a hard time in her life. And this past week, at some point, the lady said to my wife, I don't even know how to pray. Melissa said, well, you, you need to just pray in the Spirit. She said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Melissa began to share with her simply what we've been talking about in church, how the Spirit of God knows what to pray when you don't know what to pray. And after a few minutes of talking, sharing together, right there on the telephone, she led this woman to being filled with the Spirit of God. I urge my microgroups. Right now I have one small group, three microgroups I meet with every week. I urge my microgroups uh, uh, to take one thought from the sermon every week and share it every chance you get with somebody. It's very easy to do. Somebody says, hey, what did you do this weekend? Well, I didn't do a whole lot, but you know, went to church. Listen, i got to tell you, in church, we're talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. It's incredible. Bam, you're done. One thought, one simple thought from the message. I call it, I call it jiggling the door. And the basic idea is this. You just kind of jiggle. You mention something about you. You mention something you're learning, something God's doing in your life. You, you jiggle the door to see if they open it up just a little bit. Because if they'll open it up and let you in just a little bit, you may just have one of your one-day moments right there. You don't need a seminary degree to impact the world for Jesus. You don't need a position on a church staff to impact the world for Jesus. In fact, if I was completely honest with you, I want to tell you from experience, it may be harder for many of you to reach the world for Jesus 
through a church position than to where you are right now. So Peter and John were headed to pray, just like they did pretty much every day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the Bible says, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. One day, pretty much like every other day, this guy was set down outside the temple. And Peter and John, like pretty much every day, were walking toward the temple at 3 o'clock to pray. And pretty much like every other day, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But what happened next was not like any other day. The Bible says Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then as if to put feet to his words, the Bible says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. We've been talking the last several weeks, about the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the first followers of Jesus. And listen to me, one undeniable effect, one undeniable result of the presence of the Holy Spirit is the incredibly rational expectation. Let me say it again. The incredibly rational expectation that if the Holy Spirit is really there, He's maybe going to time from time show himself. Even a cursory look at the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that miracles and manifestations of the Holy Spirit were a real and regular part of New Testament life. Speaking of the kingdom culture established by the very first Christians, Acts chapter 2, verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. But make no mistake about it, it was not just the apostles. In Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to uh, Samaria. He's not an apostle. Uh, the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and exhorts them to eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit and then explains to them how to operate in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia and he asks them the question, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? Because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Notice the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of miracles was a given. It was an established fact, a settled reality among the Christians in Galatia. The rank and file workaday Christians in Galatia. So back to our main text. The Bible says one day. On a day that started out pretty much like every other day, Peter and John ran into a man they had seen dozens, if not hundreds of times. But, prompted by the Holy Spirit within them, the same Holy Spirit who wants to fill you, they reached down and lifted him up. And he was miraculously, instantly healed. And I wonder this morning, Who'd like to see a little of that in their lives one of these days? Because I remind you, we're looking at the first followers of Jesus to learn how to follow him 
right now. So looking at Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, what can you learn and what can you apply to your life today? The very first thing I want you to note is that this miracle happened out there. Yes, they were headed to church, but the miracle happened before they got there. They ran into this guy outside the temple courts. They ran into him outside the four walls of the church building. They ran into him outside the setting of a worship service, out there in the streets where people are not particularly pious, and they don't know to say, praise the Lord. I'm calling this message, let's take this outside, because that's where this stuff is supposed to happen. That's where the Spirit of God wants it to happen, which means that's where it is most likely to happen. I believe one of the sad things that came out of both the Pentecostal revival and the charismatic renewal is that many, many Spirit-filled Christians who really believe in the power of God to work miracles became more interested in seeing and receiving miracles than in going out there and giving them away. And I believe as a result, the focus of many Pentecostal and charismatic church services became less about worshiping God and being transformed by His Word and became more about hoping to see a miracle or receive a miracle. During this series, I'm sending out discussion questions every week for small group leaders to, to use if they want to. And one of the questions I sent out last week said, since the gift of tongues is so clearly biblical, why do you think it's so controversial? I believe one answer is honestly because of fear. People are afraid. Whatever other reason they give, the truth is people are afraid of that gift. But I believe another major reason is because many people are reacting to the chaos and abuses they've seen or heard of in charismatic or Pentecostal church culture. Listen, there is a kingdom culture, but there's also a Baptist culture and a Lutheran culture and a Reformed culture. There's Pentecostal and charismatic church culture. And much of those smaller cultures have oftentimes very little in common with the larger culture of the kingdom of God. I used to joke around with Kent Jones. Kent grew up in an old-school Pentecostal uh, church culture, Pentecostal church culture. You don't put a T in it when you're Pentecostal. Pentecostal church culture. And Kent would laugh. He would talk about how growing up, the preachers in his church, they would always they'd stop and shout, ha! right in the middle of uh, uh, preaching. They'd just be going, ha! and right there it would be. And, and, and he'd laugh about it. He said they, they could manage to use five entire syllables to say, Holy Ghost. Uh, uh. Now, now, you, now you need to know there's absolutely nothing sinful about that. And if you grew up in that culture, that may well be still your preferred style of preaching. But it is a very specific and narrow culture that appeals to a very specific and narrow group of people. And for what it's worth, my personal theory is that Pentecostal and charismatic church culture became so loud and so dramatic and so over the top, my opinion, because people started going to church to be entertained to be thrilled, to see a miracle. And so when the Holy Spirit quit playing along, their ministers simply developed a style and a culture that would thrill and excite and entertain even in the absence of the actual presence and power of God. Listen to me. The world does not need a show. 
They need the power of God. They don't need shouting or shaking or histrionics. They need to be healed. They need to be convicted and changed by the Holy Spirit. They need, in the words of the Apostle Paul, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And they need you to take that outside. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're one of those people who have been really put off by certain aspects of Pentecostal or charismatic church culture, you need to understand that none of that changes the Word of God. And the Word of God, the clear testimony of the Word of God is that He wants you filled with the Holy Spirit, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit as you boldly declare the good news of Jesus out there where people need it. As you look at these first followers of Jesus, and you see them suddenly from time to time having these sort of miraculous one-day moments, you'll notice that the one-days were never for their entertainment but were always for the advancement of the gospel out there. They rarely happen inside church settings, which is why we must take this outside. As I prepare to close, I want to share a couple other quick thoughts with you from this one-day episode with Peter and John. And first I want you to notice the tremendous respect and love Peter and John showed toward this crippled man. Verse 4 notes that when the beggar addressed them, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Listen, if you want to make a difference in the world, then you need to make a difference in people. If you want to make a difference in the world, you need to make a difference in people. And if you want to bless and help people, you're going to have to look at them. You're going to have to look and notice them and notice their needs. You're going to have to look and notice them, and notice their level of receptivity toward you. Now, in this man's case, both of those were quickly obvious. You could tell just by a quick look. At one level, he needed money. At a deeper level, he needed a miracle. He needed his feet and legs to work. And he was clearly open to Peter and John because he was hoping to get something from them. But for many of the people around you every day, you're not going to be able to tell what's going on just by looking at them quickly. You're going to need to get them talking, which means you're going to need to learn to ask good questions, and you're going to need to learn to listen well. I firmly, in fact, we talked about this in elders the other day. One of the elders reported, people are just asking for prayer all the time. It's crazy. It's like I've never seen it before. I believe everyone, virtually everyone in the world today is desperate, desperate for somebody to listen to them. Desperate for somebody to hear their pain, to hear their struggle, to listen to what is going on. But far too few people ask. And far fewer than that are very good listeners. You need to learn when you ask about people, when you ask about their day, when you ask about their family, when you ask about their job, when you ask about their whatever, you need to look and see if they open up a little bit. Or do they just keep things at a very surface level? When you talk about the things of God, when you share your God stories, when you jiggle the door a little bit, and you mention the things God's showing you, the things God's doing for you, the things you're hearing in church, the things you're, you're reading in your own personal Bible study, do they seem interested? Do they crack the door just a little bit? Or do they slam it and talk about the Panthers? Either one's okay. Because only the Spirit of God can draw people. 
And so if they're not ready, that's okay. You jiggle the door. That's your job. And to go in when they open it. It's not your job to make them open. It's not your job to kick the door down. When people are open to hearing more about Jesus or the things of God, they'll actually usually drop you little hints. They'll almost never ask you outright for fear of looking silly. But they will ask or say little things that they mean to encourage you to tell them more. And research says, this is fascinating, research says that the average non-Christian will give you three hints and then drop it. So it's up to you to be looking and listening for the hints. Jiggle the door and look to see what happens. Notice, too, that the, 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 the first need this man had, the one he was most concerned about getting met, is not the need the Lord met through Peter. This man was begging for money. He asked Peter and John for money, and he looked at them expecting to get money. And probably to his chagrin, Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. Look at me. You do not have to meet every need you see. You do not have to meet every need you encounter, which is really good news because you can't. When, when, when you see someone who has a need that you can't meet right there, who needs something you can't give them, don't freak out about that. Don't be frustrated or fearful or fretful about that. Just give them what you have. And trust the Spirit of God to put in your hands exactly what He wants you to give them in those moments. Sometimes that may just be a caring ear, a listening ear, and a kind word. And sometimes it may be an instantaneous, miraculous healing. Finally, I don't know how you imagine this whole scene. Trust you've read it many times before. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard of it. I don't know how you imagine the scene, but I believe when Peter spoke healing to this man and lifted him up out of the dirt, for me personally, I do not see Peter full of bluster and showmanship. Arise, thou beggar! Be thou healed, I command it. I, I don't see I don't see that. Ha! I, 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 don't, um, I don't envision that scene that way. Peter was filled with the Spirit of God. So I believe he was full of love and mercy and compassion. And notice, he doesn't jerk the man off the ground. The Bible says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him. Look at me. This is what the Spirit of God has called you to do and what the Spirit of God has filled you to empower you to do. God is saying, go help them. Help them up. Help them get up from the things that are dragging them down, the things that are holding them down, the things that keep pulling them down. God wants you to help them up. In the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has come to you, so you will go and help them up with resources that you couldn't muster on your own. Lord Jesus, make us a people like this. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us 
with your love and move us to take this outside. In your name we pray. Amen.